0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James. And on today's episode, we're looking back at the New Year's Day defeat against Reading and a little bit of a preview for the FA Cup clash this weekend against Aston Villa at Craven Cottage. Uh, and I'm joined by the man himself. He's desperately upset that the darts is over for another year. Dom Betts, how you doing? You're not bad, mate. Not too bad. You know, surprise result in the darts, you
1: know. Peter Wright finally winning his first big major, so good to see.
0: Were well, you delighted with that outcome?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was expecting just an easy sort of MVG seven three seven four win, but uh, MVG just didn't turn up like he had for the whole tournament, and Peter Wright took advantage. It's great to see, and there was some sort of good news after the abysmal performance of yesterday.
0: Well, I was going to say, it's, it's been a pretty mixed uh, bag for Fulham over the festive period. At least you've had something to kind of keep you going, keep your spirits up. Um, Dom, uh, you're looking over the three-word reviews today from the defeat yesterday. What are you saying? We're well, going to start with
1: a f- favourite of the three-word reviews with Richard Bambo, Man Like Soul, with Going Nowhere Fast, um, we have Andy Charman with defending utter carnage, with Khan being spelt K-H-A-N. Very good. Sophie Johnson with yet more inconsistency. Fulham with post-champagne shambles.
0: And James Peters with amateur league defending. All right. Well, uh, yeah, lots to discuss from the match yesterday, uh, Dom. I'm just so frustrated. And I, I try not to normally let football get to me too much. And normally by 7, 8 o'clock that evening or whatever after the game, I'm I'm absolutely fine absolutely fine normally, but I just couldn't get over yesterday and I still haven't quite got over it. It's so frustrating. Maybe after the Stoke game, I had a false pretense, but I just thought yesterday it was all set up. New Year's Day, had a little bit of a hangover. Leeds and West Brom were playing each other. Reading were in form, but I just really thought we were going to just come along, do the business, professional three points, go home, FA Cup, great. And I'm just so frustrated. Don, what was what was your take on, on what was just a bit of a dreary afternoon in total? Yeah, I think again, it was.
1: We've seen it a lot of times, probably because it was a three o'clock home game. Uh, bar the Leeds one, we've we've been pretty terrible in the rest of them. But, you know, we, we had that chance right at the beginning where we seemed to not be able to put the ball in it after hitting it about three or four times through Mitrovic. And I think Bobby Reid had two attempts at putting it in. I think if that goes in, it'll be a completely different game. But then pretty much going up the other end and score. And then, you know, just if you're just looking at their first attack and they score from it, it's not even that. It's that, you know, when they're coming down our our right hand side, like. Christie's in in the centre back position pretty much. You got Knockart technically playing right wing back at some stage. I just thought the defending yesterday was kamikaze, and I didn't think really that we did we really did anything. And I, I just don't you know what what it would be down to because you know yes we weren't you know utterly convincing against Stoke, but we did what we needed to to get the ugly victory as we said. And I thought okay maybe we we finally got over our blip and we're going to go forward. Obviously we got that late minute last minute equaliser at Luton, but. Yeah, yesterday we just looked looked like we completely just weren't at it. And I just didn't know what it was down to. I just... We just looked so bland yesterday because as soon as they scored their first, it was like, it wasn't, it, I just don't, it, I didn't feel like, especially in that first half anyway, there wasn't much effort and much work right in the centre of the park. I just didn't feel like we were moving the ball from one side to the other or one, one ended pitch to the other with any sort of intensity. Obviously, we put today on our Twitter, you know, going back to that 4-1 win over Ipswich where we got four goals in seven minutes. If you look at all those goals, there's, you know, five or six players going forward at the same time. We're just not seeing that under Scott Parker, you know, that it's very passive with the ball. There's no sort of intensity to the way we're attacking.
0: Yeah, indeed. I mean, I felt that Fulham were okay for that first 15 minutes or so. You mentioned that kind of triple chance, metro shot, uh, and then kind of. Deca over reed got saved twice. I mean, Cabral had a brilliant game for Reading and you can't deny him that. I'd say two world-class saves in there. That one that we just mentioned and also the Cavalero save, which I just thought was nestling in the bottom corner when it was 2-1. And a good save at the end as well for from for Mitro's header. But Reading came with a game plan, didn't they? They hadn't conceded in four games Uh, everyone laughed when Reading appointed Mark Bowen and said, well, he's just appointed himself as manager after being director of football, but he's coming and they look like they really have a plan and they just looked perfectly set up to to soak up Fulham's pressure. They didn't press us high and I thought that actually, oh, maybe Fulham will be all right here because they're not pressing our defenders. They're not trying to wait for us to make mistakes in the upper third of the pitch. They just let us pass come out to fence, even come up to the halfway line sometimes and then they'd slowly start pressing but it was really in that final third of the pitch where Fulham just couldn't let the ball stick to them and, and we didn't know whether to go wide play through the middle Mitrovic was was out muscled through the whole game I, I was quite impressed with Reading did their homework
1: yeah but how many, team, how many teams have done their homework to counteract the way Fulham play you know it's getting to the point where are we that easy to read you know I understand we beat Leeds but there was that all oh, stats on we lead blog and podcast that sort of you know analyze what where Fulham were going wrong this season and pretty much what a lot of we've been saying I just feel like we're, so, we're too easy to read tactically and we don't change it up enough and we don't try to do something else I feel like you know Reading a lot of teams have had that game plan have come to us and got the result I'm looking at Hull I'm looking at you know Nottingham Forest and I'm now looking at Reading who've had a game plan and it's worked. So and then, you know, what if you're looking at Reading, I look, I was looking at the stats before the game and I think when it comes to going in the lead, they've got the best percentage of getting on to get a result. I think they've won now won nine and drawn two out of the eleven or twelve they've gone in the lead. So as soon as they went in the lead, you know, it was fairly worrying. And you know, when we go one down, it seems like we don't you know what to do. It seems like we rely on us taking the lead in the game for us to sort of take the, the game by the strength of the neck. So I'm it was worrying yesterday, and it's you know it's getting to the it's getting to the point now where what we're ten points off the top two now, and you know Millwall are only two points behind us. You know when we battered them four one, we thought you know they'd be possibly relegation fodder, but obviously Gary come in and done an exceptional job there. You know everyone's sort of been looking up at the top two, but you know you have to, after a result like this and the results that happened yesterday, you are getting to the stage where you're kind of looking even looking behind you now, and you know, I I'm just I I'm just, I'm just I just wonder what i just didn't even know what the plan was yesterday once we went 1-0 down i just i didn't see what what anything different we were trying to do after it wasn't working
0: for a good period of the game yeah i think you're completely right about needing to look our, over our shoulders and you know the website and the the and the official account keeps talking about how we're letting points slip on the top 2 and we're all kind of looking at what Leeds are doing and what West Brom are doing whilst almost being blissfully unaware that t- 11th place is 4 points behind us and 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 lots and actually with reading having a game in hand if they won that they'd only be four points behind us and you know when we won 4-1 at the medeski earlier this season i i never would have guessed that you know coming into the new year there'd only be four points between us and that's partially down to reading's great run not just fully down to us but if, if you look at those three games over christmas you had luton stoke reading I'd say that as about as winnable as it gets in the championship, especially with two of those at Craven Cottage, if we took maximum points, which we really should, it shouldn't be a, a tall ask. you would be in five points of, of the top two. Now you'd be comfortably in third. And as it goes, um, we're not, you speak about also the fact that Fulham can't seem to come from behind. The only game that we have come from behind and won this season was QPR. And it was, it was a good performance and probably one of the best performances of the season. Um, So far, But what I don't get, Fulham clearly are one of these teams that benefits from from going in front, which it sounds like a really stupid thing to say. Of course, every team benefits from from going in front. But particularly Fulham, when we get into the lead, because of the way that we can keep the ball and and suffocate teams, we can actually really do some damage. And more often than not, if we take the lead, we go on to win. We had a couple of times earlier this season when we got pegged back, but mostly we're quite good at that. Why don't we go... A bit more hell for lever in the first 15 minutes. Really try and get an opening goal. A bit like how um, definitely Man City try to do under Guardiola. Guardiola tries to win the game in the opening 20 minutes. And if they can't do it with an intense opening 20 minutes, then they kind of go to plan B. But once again yesterday, Fulham just, just kind of meekly passed it around for the first 15 minutes. Try and get a feel into the game. Not, try not to expose yourselves too soon. I just wish we came out the clappers. A little bit more, and and I've said it all season, and it just seems now whoever gets the first goal in a Fulham game tends to go on and win it.
1: Yeah, I think I think your biggest problem is that you know if we do go in the lead, it requires the other team to sort of go go in front of us, you know, go and, come and attack us, and that will obviously only benefit us because it will give us more space in behind. Whereas they take the lead, they know they can just sit back and defend. You know, every team that's been as Cottage season has just done its on the counter attack with their goals. You look at the Forest game, you look at the whole City game, you now look at this Reading game. You know, it's it's been it's been poor when when we when we've gone behind, and you know I think the as I said, but. You know, we said, oh, we should go out from the front foot, you know, try to win the game in the first 20 minutes of the game. Like, I, you know, everyone says, oh, it doesn't work. You've got, you got to have a plan B. I don't really know what a plan A is at the moment, to be if I'm being perfectly honest. You know, yes, the, we're, we're keeping possession. We're playing the ball sideways, and it's eventually getting through to the likes of Bobby Reed and Mitrovic. But... There is. I don't really see what that what the aim is from that because there's not. I just think there needs to be more intensity going forward. I think that you know we've got great attacking players. you have got when, when fit you've got the likes of Kearney, Caviero, Nockart, Mitrovic, Bobby Reed, Kamara, Cabano to come off the bench. Like it's it's worrying that we're not having got this this intense sort of attacking attacking sense going forward. I don't. I, I find it really odd. Like you you know you with the likes of Caviero and Knockart you'd expect there to be players. Do, diving to go forward, diving to go forward every single time, just because we know if we, we if we're gonna we've got the best attack potentially in the league if it, if it clicks and as we've seen a few times this season the likes of you know the Millwall, the Reading, and the Derby game. So I just I just don't get what Scott Parker is telling them from the off. I just I just seen that you know if we go in the lead we we tend to win the game and if we go behind you know we tend to lose or draw. So I just I just think
0: Scott Parker needs to you know adding some add just add more intensity into the way we play. Um, to give um. Scott Parker, a tiny bit of slack. We did have uh, three enforced changes. Um, Kearney dropped out. So did Onoma. So did Mawson. We believe two of them from illness and one of them from injury. Hopefully none of them are too severe. Then you had Harrison Reid needing to go off after about 20 minutes. On came... Matt O'Reilly. We've been kind of championing Matt O'Reilly for for years, it feels like, on this podcast. It feels like from day one, Matt O'Reilly's name got mentioned somehow. We finally kind of saw him get an extended period on the pitch. I thought Matt O'Reilly was pretty good. Uh, A few people around me seem to be suggesting, oh, he's out of his depth, he's off the pace. But I actually thought he came on and did a, a pretty good job, especially for a debutant. I'd actually go as far as saying he did a very good job.
1: Yeah, he did a fine job. He didn't do any worse than Stefan Johansson yesterday. So, and I think that you know, it, and you, people say, "Oh, but Johansson's more experienced." Yeah, but that's it. They didn't play any different to each other. They were playing to the same amount of ability yesterday. And I just thought it was, I just don't didn't see the point of when Scott Parker decided to take him off. I mean, that's just going to shoot you know the uh, youngster's confidence. And if it was bringing on a TC or someone of that caliber, I completely understand. But he's bringing on Luca Della Torre. That's, that's that's what I didn't get. If it was like, you know, one of the senior members of the squad that was coming on, I could possibly maybe understand it. But it, when it's just another youngster coming on for him, I guess I understand he's a more attacking player, but you know, you could have taken off your hands and, you know, we you know Matt O'Reilly can play deeper. He's, he's done it for the under 23s. You know, he's not, he's not just a number 10, number 8 anymore. He has played the number 6 role a couple of times or a few times for the under 23s. So I just don't understand
0: what the need was to take Matt O'Reilly off. Oh, uh, you see, I actually. <laughs> I kind of understood it. I don't think you take off the experience, Steph Hansen, off in that situation. It is always a bit of a, well, it's always a bit of a pulling your pants down, isn't it? When you substitute the substitute, it's it's, an, it's not the done thing. And we saw Duncan Ferguson come under some real flack for doing it for basically both the games that he was in charge of Everton, but most notably with, with Moyes Keane, who he brought on in the second half and then substituted in the second half, I believe as well. I, I kind of see if that Scott Parker was trying to win the game there and he thought that De La Torre was going to do a better job than Matt O'Reilly because De La Torre's got a bit of attacking flair. I I, I kind of saw where it was coming from there. And I don't reckon that Matt O'Reilly on his debut would have taken it to heart. I think maybe if, if Matt O'Reilly was a tad more experienced, he might have felt a bit embarrassed by that. But on, on, on effectively, not his full debut, but pretty much. Um, in terms of the amount of minutes he played, I, I actually didn't think it was as criminal as as some others, particularly uh, on Fulhamish, <laughs> the Fulhamish WhatsApp. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't, think, I don't me. think
1: it was necessarily. You know, it, I understand where Scott Parker was coming from. I just, I just, I just thought, you know, the, w- the way we were attacking, Reading weren't going to try hit us on a counter attack. I thought they were just going to sit back for the entire half. And you know, you could, br- I think Matt O'Reilly would have done a perfect job in where Johansson was playing. You know, he's played that position before. I just thought, you know, for the last five, ten minutes of the game, whatever it was, it would have made sense to just. You know, have more attack, more attacking-minded players on the pitch as possible. I think Matt Roddy's got the legs to do that role anyway. And as I understand what Scott Parker was trying to do, I just thought on his debut necessarily wouldn't have been the best thing to do.
0: Um, let's just quickly talk about both the Reading goals. They came from the same side. They came from Reading's left-hand side. Um, Cyrus Christie kind of hopelessly exposed for both of them. Both times it was all quite simple, really. Um, I think Cyrus could have done a little bit better on the second. He got out tricked. Just a little bit too simply um, by the Reading winner, but the first one, it was just criminal how three players were were crowding around one player and didn't and didn't see the runner coming. It it all happened in slow motion. How it was just so bloody easy. It was that was that was quite devastating to watch, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, but when 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 the Reading players running down the right hand side, there isn't anyone there. Well, Cyrus Christie's tucked inside the eighteen yard box. Knockart's kind of trying to make his way back, and I just don't the positioning there is when I worry, is is that down to the players not being coached in, in the right way to, you know, track your man? Like, I don't understand, I didn't understand the positioning. And obviously, saw Christie then goes out, which then opens the area for, for Swift in the middle of the park. And yeah, I thought, you know, I thought it was criminal defending for both goals, really. As you said, you know, Christie gets beaten way too easily. And obviously in the first goal, you know, I don't think Tim Ream can really do too much about it. But I just, you know, it's just worrying that, but how both sides, both wings. Yes, we've also, we've always talked about the left-hand side and Joe Bryan, Tim Ream. But, you know, again, the right-hand side looked just as sort of weak yesterday. And it's just worrying that, you know, you look at Joe Bryan, you look at Cyrus Christie, you look at when we've had Mawson, Adoi, Ream. These are all players who are at the top level of cha- of championship when it comes to defenders and they just don't seem to know how to defend is that down to coaching I don't know but like you know everyone was sort of praising the return of Gray when he came back but I haven't seen any defensive minded coaching come in this season you know both 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 wings especially in between the fullback and the centre back have been shambolic at most stages this season so yeah it, it is it is worrying and you know I, I, I just think it's it's got to do with coaching because play, bad defenders can be coached into competent defenders, but I don't see how why good these good defenders... And, you know, it's annoying for size Christie because we've been giving him a lot of praise, really, over the last month or so. He's probably been the our best defender since he's come back into the side, but that evidently wasn't on show yesterday. I just think, are they being coached in the right way?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a lovely bit of skill, to be fair, from um, Ajaria t- to beat him. I'm, I'm still fuming that Charlie Alden... Adam- uh, scored a goal against yeah, us.
1: I just don't understand how he's only thirty four.
0: I know he looks about sixty six, and he's been chain smoking two two packets a week for, for for the past sixty of them.
1: Yeah, I just, I just, I just don't understand how he's younger than Cristiano Ronaldo. It's just <laughs> like that. That's just that shouldn't be a thing. And I just, I, ju- I just, you know, I didn't even, I didn't actually realize it was him who scored. I, I, just actually, I, I didn't actually realize until obviously uh, Ivan announced. I was like, sure. I didn't, even, I didn't even know he was playing. Like I really didn't. I just saw this fat geezer in the middle of the park, but I didn't actually realise Charlie Adam was playing. But yeah, I think that was probably the worst moment instead of the actual defeat yesterday.
0: I, um, I only realised Charlie Adam was playing yesterday when he tried to lob Marek Rodak from the halfway line. And I thought, uh, I remember Charlie Adam trying to do that once or twice. Oh, wait. Oh, that is Charlie Adam. I had, I, I had no idea. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was also, speaking of uh, Reading players, it was great to see Pelé Uh, on the pitch at Craven Cottage yesterday, an iconic moment. Let's come on to the reaction from um, various Fulham fans. I'm I'm finding it really hard not to be knee-jerk this season, and it does seem to me that, I guess, all of us, the wider fan base, we win, and all the... Parker-in crowd come in and say, I don't know how you could doubt Scott Parker. Uh, we picked up a great po- We picked up a great three points. We're in X many points of the top two. And all of the Parker-out crowd goes a bit silent. And then, then we lose. And suddenly it's Parker's tactically inept. And we, and we haven't got a clue. And uh, we've got these great players, but we've got an inexperienced manager. And I'm finding myself caught in this limbo of seeing both sides and not knowing what on earth to do about it because I want to be knee-jerk every single game, but I'm trying to stop myself just go, like and remembering that the championship is a bit of a wild league. I mean, you saw from the results yesterday just how unpredictable the whole thing can be and, and how a couple of wins can transform your season, um, seemingly, and a couple of defeats can, can put you mid table. I mean, look at Bristol City, who, who went third, I believe, after, or fourth, I believe, after beating us a few, uh, like less than a month ago, and now are mid table getting humbled at home by Brentford. I'm trying, and everyone was talking about Lee Johnston, what a great manager he is, and, and then since look at the run, I've, it's rip, re- but it is really difficult. To get yourself out of that chasm of falling in between the park is great, park is awful, park is great, park is awful. It, it's just, it is deeply frustrating at the moment, though.
1: Yeah, I think one thing you got to look at. So if you if you are going to change the manager this season you kind of have to do it soon because you can't give a manager a squad which he can't mould at all to something he wants in the January transfer window but then you know can you see us getting the top two under, under a different manager well I probably can't I think it is probably a bit too far now with the 10 point gap and the way Leeds and West Brom are playing I understand Leeds are capable of falling apart but you know they are they do look set apart apart from the rest of this season so then is there a point in bringing another manager in if he's just going to finish in the top six which I think Scott Parker will do for us so so then, then you do give it to the end of the season, then do you, if you, you analyze it then. But then the thing is, if you look and you're looking on creating a new project for next season, if you don't think we're going to go up, then you know you've got to start kind of looking at the managers over the next few months. You can't just sort of get rid of Scott Parker at the end of May and then then start looking for a manager again. So it's it's, it's a hard thing to look at. And then let's say we were to get promoted, is it the best thing to give Scott Parker a season in the Premier League or will we head straight back down? Would our best option being if Scott was to get promoted through the playoffs? then would it make sense... I know it'd be extremely harsh, but would it make sense to get a manager and who, who know you will keep us up in the Premier League to go on from Scott Parker? It's a very, very tough situation. I think if the club and Tony on are thinking about changing managers, they have to kind of do it soon just because I don't think you can give, not give a manager a transfer window, then ask him to get your team promoted.
0: Indeed. I, I'm interested to see what Michael Hector can do. And I know we keep banging on about him. We all thought he was going to play yesterday, but he was not eligible to play. Um, I think actually the same thing happened with Van Dyke when he joined Liverpool um, two yeah, seasons ago. Yeah, if we, if we, if we played tonight, he'd be eligible to play. But for some reason, the signings and eligible to play doesn't count until the 2nd of January for some reason. Yeah, I mean, I think we were all a bit baffled. Probably it makes sense for him to come in at the Villa game. Um, you know, FA Cup, it's a little bit less pressure. He can kind of get into the flow of it and if he makes a mistake or two it's not the end of the world because really no one's giving too much of a crap about the FA Cup we will come on to that game um, in a second but yeah I'm finding it highly frustrating I mean I saw somebody um, say on Twitter and I haven't checked the maths on this but that Fulham can actually only drop a maximum of 12 points now um, if we were to get into the top two and that's not saying if we dropped only 11, we'd get in the top two. That's saying Fulham actually mathematically cannot drop more than 12 points now. So that's four defeats maximum between now and the end of the season, particularly when you've got to go to Ellen Road, you've got to go to West Brom, uh, and you've still got some really, really tough fixtures towards the end of the season as well. Like I, I am now with a 10-point gap. I mean, Sheffield United did a pretty good comeback, to, to uh, and they, over, they overcame an eight-point gap last season to make top two and they had to rely on Leeds falling apart, which as you say, Dom, I just don't really see happening this season. Right, um, I think we've done enough of dissection over Reading. It always was going to be a bit of a quick podcast today. I think there'll be more uh, reaction on Monday's podcast um, to to Reading and, of course, Villa. Uh, But just for the last bit of the podcast, we'll preview the FA Cup game at the weekend. Would you like the latest Fulham breaking news straight to your phone? I thought you might. If so, sign up to the Fulhamish WhatsApp channel and you'll receive regular match day updates, transfer updates, breaking FFC news and podcast alerts. It's 100% free and you can opt out anytime if you want. To sign up, go to fulhamish.co.uk forward slash WhatsApp and follow the instructions. That's fulhamish.co.uk forward slash WhatsApp. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Dom Betts. Hello, hello. Right, Dom, uh, FA Cup at the weekend. It's it's Villa at home and normally I would say that I don't care about the FA Cup third round. And, and, And in real terms, I don't. But... There's something a little bit spicy about this one because it is the doing of Fulham Derby. It is Fulham Villa, this weird rivalry, as much on their side as much as ours, um, has developed ever since the playoff final. Um, there is an element of me that doesn't want to chuck this away that would find it absolutely hilarious if we could just shithouse our way to a win in this one. Yeah it would
1: be, it would be quite funny if we were if we, if you know because of the whole doing a Fulham thing but like, I'm I'm looking at it and you know I quite want to, I quite I'll quite like Charlton away on Saturday so I would like if us and Charlton could both get knocked out of this round just to make sure that game's not on a Tuesday night as it always seems to be. Um but no um like this game I'm I'm seeing uh, it's you know everyone's probably going to see of Hexa place Uh, you know I want to see I'd I like to see Matt O'Reilly in the starting 11 I thought we did as you said as we spoke earlier a perfectly good job yesterday so I think I'd like to see him in the side And I don't think it's a... a, I've always looked at the FA Cup third round and I've always found it weird when uh, when teams sort of drop their key players because it's not like a League Cup game when it's on a Tuesday night. It's just another Saturday three o'clock game or three or one o'clock kickoff or or whatever they are in the FA Cup this year. Um, But yeah, I just, I think, I'm not. I'm not saying oh, we should go all out for it, but there's no reason why we shouldn't try to win this game. It's just another game, and you know, a good way to bounce back because you don't want to be going off uh, two defeats going into a way to Hull, where we t- we definitely do not have a good record. Because the three times I've been there, I've not seen us win. So. I think I want us to win this game for more of a bit of momentum going into that whole City game as opposed to, oh, let's go on an FA Cup run this season, which I would like, but, you know, no, I'll never say no to an FA Cup run. But yeah, I just want, I just think a bit of momentum going into that whole game is actually going to be very crucial for us.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, you'd imagine that players like Bessinelli will almost definitely playing. You may even see a, a Kevin McDonald, uh, an Kins Cabano. Do you think that's the kind of lineup that that, that Scott will go for here? It will be... First teamers, it won't be a complete youth team. There might be a, a Matt O'Reilly chucked in there, but probably also a few of the experienced names. I, For instance, I'd expect someone like Decadova Dover-Reed, um, a Dennis O'Doyd, a Cyrus Christie to, st- to still keep their places. Although I guess in the case of Cyrus Christie, maybe it would be a, a welcome time for, for Stephen Sessignon to, to get some minutes again.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the likes of Ellie Sessignon, as you said, you know, the fringe players who have been a bit part of the squad this season, should be the players playing. I yeah, the only young players I'm, what I really want to see playing today—not today, today sorry—on Saturday is that you know, yeah, the Matt O'Reilly. Maybe it, on the bench you would have someone like Taylor Crosdale to bring on if if that's if that's a. If I wouldn't start him, but hit an option off the bench, you know. I I, I want a, a majority first team, then but then you're looking at it. Then do you start Bukar Kamara up top, and then do you play players out wide? It didn't work so well against Southampton, but obviously the players have played a lot better since. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, I want to see a pretty much first team squad, but the players haven't been playing too much. The likes of Capaño, as you said, Matt O'Reilly coming in, Stephen Cessignon, Dennis Odoi's been out to the side recently, so we get back him. Obviously, likes of Michael Hector. I mean, we, Joe Brown's going to have to play because there's no other options, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, a, a pretty much first team, first team squad, but with a few of the French players coming
0: in. Indeed, and I mean, there's not there's not too much need to preview Villa really. They are out of the relegation zone after beating. Burnley yesterday they'll be missing a couple of key players most likely uh Tom Heaton and and Wesley their striker have uh, had scans to find out the extent of their injuries you'd imagine that they won't play um and they have got a lot of games coming up because obviously they've got all their big Premier League games and, and they face Man City in 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 about 10 days time but also they've got the EFL Cup semi-final uh, against Leicester on Wednesday, and you'd imagine that's a far higher priority uh, for Dean Smith and, and his side. So it, it probably is a game that neither side are actually that bothered about winning, apart from just the weird kudos of, of, of getting one over the other because this weird rivalry has developed, which I... I just don't really understand. We beat them in the playoff final, kind of fair and square. They then got promoted and then got annoyed because everyone started comparing their summer transfer spending to Fulham's. And it's all just developed. I I, I don't get it. It's like, yes, Villa, you spent a lot of money and look at where you are. Some of your signings have been okay, Some of them haven't been great. A bit like ours, really. And most likely you will still be getting relegated at the end of the season because you're in the scrap and it's, it's three out of what five teams that are are going to get go down. I, I, I just don't buy, I don't understand where this is all come from. And I, I swear it's mostly on their side.
1: Yeah. I think it has come from their side. There was obviously the whole thing at the time in the playoff final. Like, Oh, Villa fans have helped Fulham sell out their end which obviously didn't happen um, so yeah it's a bit of a weird thing like, I think for me it's not about beating Villa as much as, much as I don't really like him it's like it's a, it's, a case, it's a case in fact of we just need a bit of momentum going to our, our league campaign for the rest of the January you know, like, you know the games against Hull Middlesbrough if you are going to get promoted these are the games you win
0: yeah precisely and also now I think we just need to keep points going so that we can stay within the playoffs because I think once you fall out of them then it can be Yeah, it's, it's,
1: it's easy to get into them after being out of it for the entire season, but it's hard to, once you've dropped down, to then gain the sort of motivation to get back in them again. And we're seeing the, like, the resurgence of the teams of like, of like Millwall, who are playing very, very well under Gary Rout. So yeah, it is a case of we need to actually start watching our back now
0: indeed okay well we will be back on monday with a bit more in-depth look at the villa game of course and also i think uh much more discussion over fulham and where they stand and hopefully also by monday uh we'll have a much clearer idea of any of the january transfer gossip uh that is going around barring a couple of um slightly random french players i haven't seen a lot come through of you dom
1: uh, no, that was the Kosovan defender from Huddersfield, but that's the only one I've really, really seen so far. I mean, I, that, I don't see us doing much business because I can't see us spending money, and obviously we've got the maximum amount of loans anyway, so we'd have to terminate someone's loan to bring someone else in. So, I, 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 will be very surprised if we do any serious business uh, I, uh this transfer window, if I'm being honest. We
0: do have a lump of cash from the Sessingon money, though, burning a hole. We do,
1: but then if you spend that, and then. You're spending on that in, I think, in the look to get promoted. And if you don't get promoted, that could backfire. So I I, I think this, this, the club are going to reserve spending that session of money to at least the summer.
0: I, I reckon so too, Don, But uh, you never know, and uh, maybe there'll be. I, I I feel like there'll be one or two transfers. I feel like something. Yeah, I think
1: will they'll happen. be looking for more cover within the squad as opposed to first team players. You know, looking at cover in, in the in the defensive area, especially uh, in the left back area, and possibly in the cent- in the centre back area. So, yeah, I think you know, yeah, and I and I you know they might even look for a, a, a number nine backup. I don't know, but I'm I definitely think if they are going to go anywhere, it'll definitely be in a defensive area.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Well, fingers crossed anyway, because that's what we thought in the summer. Right. Um, thank you very much for listening today. Uh, we just need to name today's podcast. Uh, Don, what are you thinking? Well, to, to title up today's podcast, we're going to go with Aidan Robbins' free road review of Reading Our Weaknesses. Indeed. Very, very good, Aiden, And uh, congratulations on winning the pod name. All right. So podcast will be back on Monday. Uh, have a good weekend. Christmas is crashing down to uh, an end. Uh, Don Betts, thank you very much. It's all right. And we will see you after the weekend. Come on, you ice.
1: Podcast powers some of the world's best podcasts.
0: Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us... Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST recommends.